0: Guys, what's going on? Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. George, what's going on? Hey, Mike. What's going on? So, so, so. Got the opportunity to interview Kevin Estella. Uh, great interview and podcast, but he's all about bushcraft, survival skills that you
1: need in the woods, and you're into that, right? I am. It's, it's just a fun thing to do, you know what I mean? Like make things in the woods, and mm-hmm. just all the things you can bring out there. Did and you use. say make things in the woods? Yeah. Like what are you going like to make? Traps. Uh, little, little baskets you can catch fish in, you know? Okay. You know how to do that? Uh, no, but I got the book. So
0: yeah, that's true. Kevin Estella's book, 101 skills you need to survive in the woods. Your dad is into this too, right? Yeah.
1: He, he spends a lot of time in the woods. He does a lot of trapping, fishing, hunting. Um, he'll go out and just walk around the woods and look for sheds really yeah. it's a shed hunter yeah those are and that's a fun thing to do too it's so fun man oh,
0: I love it I, especially for elk it's so it's so fun I, I think about all the 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 sheds that shedded the season prior and I'm yeah. like man there are just treasures
1: out there I found a uh, me and my dad and my brother do this like um we try to like every year do this like bass tournament where you're basically all the Little lakes are in the woods, so you're like walking through the brush, like you're br- you're busting brush through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the times we went down there, and I found a whole like skull. from like, a, it was like an eight point buck skull Shut and horns and everything. It was, Where's it at? It's a it's in Ohio. I keep forgetting to bring it out when I come. Oh, You need to bring it, man. But it's uh, it was like a little treasure. You know what I mean? Like, I love, I, that. love that. I love that. I love those kind of mounts are my, also my favorite mounts
0: yeah. as well. Are you uh, so you got a tag? Uh, you were in six Bravo out in here in Prescott
1: and hunting uh, muzzle loader. And you got a uh, bull tag? Yeah, so I got a uh, I got a uh, yeah a bull tag for the muzzleloader season, which is the October twenty fifth to the thirty first, from uh, a nonprofit called Weapons for Warriors. Um, really cool nonprofit, by the way. Yeah, so um, and then me my, myself and Matt Vincent, the uh, recruiter here, uh, he took me up to six B because he's like has that he he knows the kind of area, so we drove up there and. It was funny. It was like a two and a half hour drive from Prescott to the to the spot we wanted to go to. And as soon as we parked the truck off the trail, I mean, it's like first light. I mean, there's barely any light, and we're sitting there getting ready, getting our stuff ready, getting ready to get out to to you know get the get the muzzleloader loaded up. Five mature bulls. Five mature bulls, or it was for uh, mule deer. Type. Yeah, yeah. Walk right in front. I mean oh, not yeah, not cool. fifty so, yeah. feet away from us and right in the front. Just Are you serious? Just one, two. I'm like I'm counting. I'm like one, two, three, four, five. I said, five? I said, Okay, let's hurry up. And they just walked across nonchalantly, like they didn't even care we were there. What? And just like walked about sixty more yards in, turned around, looked at us, and just walked off. We got out, we tried to do a little flank, little maneuver. We waited for about an hour and it's like, we had this good advantage point where we we're up high and we could look down this little valley and there was a stream down there. So we were like, oh, they're pregnant. to get some water or something, you know, nothing. We looked behind us about an hour later and we saw three more come up towards the truck. So we went out a little bit, like one away, went all the way around, made a big circle and then just nothing. So we wasted, I mean, it wasn't wasted. It was like we we're out there about like four to five hours, and we were just like, "All right, it's, it's, it was getting to the point where it was like forty mile per hour winds were coming through." Oh, was that windy day? Yeah, it was real windy, and then yeah, that was it.
0: What is your? Uh, well, the winds are going to play against uh-huh. you in that situation, right? What is the uh, uh, the muzzle loader? What's the maximum range of those muzzle loaders? Muzzle loaders.
1: So, from what I've heard, it, it depends on what muzzle loader is, but I've heard getting out there by like two hundred yards being effective at two two hundred yards. Like hundred yards is probably your best bet.
0: Yeah. So
1: you actually have to get within. Yeah you, gotta yeah, you got to get in. You got to stalk in a little bit.
0: Yeah, um, mule deer. If you, it's difficult to hunt in Prescott uh, or in this area. Yeah. I've, I've glassed for weeks, and then they're real finicky. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. mule deer are, is a, is one of the most phenomenal breeds. They're just amazing animals, and they're super. Um, um, they're super driven, and so they rut hard. But they're also super intelligent when it comes to hunters around here. Mm-hmm. It's like they know yeah like their predatory senses maybe because of the mountain lions it's it's just dude those i mean I, I think i we glassed one and it was probably over 500 yards away and we're just looking at it through the uh, the optic out of a vortex uh, spot and scope and it looked at me and i was a, in a hidden position with winds in my favor and i'm like is this thing looking at me and i'm like there's no way like i'm masked <laughs> I'm I'm concealed. I'm I'm like a couple layers deep. I'm sh- I'm shooting the the uh, glass through a loophole.
1: I'm like there is no way. And they just stand there. They, they don't stand care. there
0: and they were like I, I see you and I'm like oh shit. And so I knew he spotted me or he at least he was sensed to me and then he just bailed on me. I'm yeah, like, like
1: it was ah. it was I mean I'm used to like uh, hunting for white tail in Ohio and you know as soon as you they hear a fart noise or something they're oh, gone. Yeah, they're their gone. tails go up and they're out. Mule deer were like, I don't give a fuck. You can, I don't care. You can try to shoot me if you want. You yeah, know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was crazy. Um,
0: let's talk about our sponsors because we do have sponsors now, right? We do. Let's talk about 5.11 Tactical. What you, so we, we've been doing projects with 5.11 Tactical, and they've given us a coupon code, FIELD15. If you're like us, you're big fans of 5.11 Tactical, especially their pants. They, not until I interviewed their CEO, uh, Francisco, did I realize that they got their starting pants and I'll tell you what, their apex pants are my favorite pants, yeah. and you're actually going to hook it up, right? You're going to contact Yeah, we're going to get some them.
1: more, uh, but in their, their jeans, uh, their jeans are great. I mean, the flex fit, the pockets on them are pretty cool because like on the back pocket, there's two pockets like on the, like your hips that you can put in, like, a like- Magazine. Magazines yeah. in, and then there's a front pocket where you can put like a, a, a pistol mag in there, and just so much room, or your just, Snickers bar. Yeah, I'll put my little Snickers bar in there, and uh, <laughs> your pokey bait. Yeah. So, but they're just so comfortable. Like, I, my one, I mean, one tip is go a, a go a, a size smaller on your waist. Yeah, I would Yeah. Say.
0: Because those thirty uh, sixes I got are a little bit big. Yeah. So on I'm it. on.
1: I usually get like thirty eights, but now I'm down to thirty six.
0: Let's not pretend, man. So it's good. You got those forty fours. That's forty four magnums. <laughs> and then you're no, like, man, oh man, I, can, I gotta get a forty two. I, I, I
1: was surprised that I, I fit in the thirty sixes. You been look in, skinny. Yeah. I've been you been lost grinding. a lot of weight in this yeah. last week. Well, hey, what's right, going on, man, man? And his fitness program. He does run some good fitness programs. We did a WAD with them this morning. But also, um, you know, they've also been sending us like the pants and everything, but another thing they've been sending us with like their bags. Their bags are cool. I got their what is their uh their it's like I think they have the series called their all mission pack. Those are cool. And then they have like different sizes and uh I had, for the hunt, I used their, like, their, it's called the. let me get it real quick because I have it right next to me.
0: I like their, uh, th- the tote bag that you carry your
1: laptop in. Yeah. That's one of my favorite, too. So, the one I had I used for the hunt was the All Missions Pack Plate Carrier. What is this? It's just a simple little pack, but I was able to fit my tourniquet. I had my, uh, Fieldcraft BHRK in there. I had my Rats tourniquet in there. Your Snickers bars. I, ha- I did. I had a little protein bar in there. I had this little Snickers bar in there, a little Gatorade. I had a, my, uh. Warrior flask, water bottle in there, and I also had a black. Isn't um, that my bag? You gave this to me. Okay, I don't remember giving then, it to you. But then okay. I had a hoodie in there, just in case you know it got a little chilly. But I, I fit everything in that bag. It's just a nice little, small, compact bag.
0: I like that, man. That fits everything. Look, and the thing about kit with us is we're utilitarian with kit. If it doesn't work, we're not going to talk about
1: it. I mean, no, I won't even yeah. use it.
0: My thing is like I don't, you know, I am I am one of those guys where. You know, I'm not going to give bad reviews because if it's not worth talking about, I don't want to talk about and waste my energy talking yeah. about how bad something is. I'll just talk about things that are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could filter my, filter me that way. Uh, so Field15 saves you 15% to check out at 511technical.com. Also, TA Targets, we're actually going to the range tomorrow to do some uh, some training, but... TA targets is our new steel that we've been utilizing. Yeah. And uh, they've given us a coupon code at tatargets.com called fieldcraft. It's one word, and that says ten percent. And the you know, the, the the cool thing about those targets is um, targetry in a lot of the industry, it reigns the
1: same, but these guys stand behind their yeah, product. Yeah. We've abused that those targets right now. Like we've had them for maybe about a month or so. We've abused oh, those targets. We've already put thousands of rounds in yeah. that steel. And it's always more fun to shoot steel anyway. It so, is. Well, it's reactive, I mean, right? We yeah, get that yeah.
0: reaction back, that feedback. Um, also, Warrior Flask. This podcast is sponsored by Warrior Flask. Uh, I'm a fan of Warrior Flask because the fact they give back to first responders mm-hmm. uh, for every purchase that you purchase. They, they actually give a flask to first responders, right? Yep. Yes, they do. No, that's awesome. And it's, uh, if you survival uh, wear flask has a myriad of different flasks uh, to contain, it's basically vessels to contain uh, your water or whatever, your your malt liquor, yeah. uh, Pliny the Elder. <laughs> um, a big shout out to Ceres. Um, I had a, a guy come out there. Uh, his girlfriend contacted me on DM about getting him a, uh, a birthday present slot to the course, which we did oh, nice. kind of behind the scenes. And then he showed up, and he brought a 12-pack of Pliny the Elder. I have not had that yet. I have
1: one. I saved one for you. Oh, I can't wait it's to so it. It's so good, man. I remember when I went out to, uh, when you were in Durango, me and Sarah came out to visit. Did we had one? No. I, I went to, uh, like, we were driving back to our little cab, and, and I stopped at a place. I was like, man, this place has to have it. Uh, and I walked in there, and I was trying to explain to what I was looking for, and the guy was like, No, we get that maybe once a I was month. I say it's one. Once a month yeah. throughout the year. And I was like,
0: damn. I went to a sushi place to uh, called McCooney's in Northern Cal. And they usually have it, and then sometimes they have it on draft. Oh, it's oh, yeah. so good, man! Uh, but big shout out to him because he hooked me up with a, a 12 pack. Um, also, this podcast is brought to you by killcliff.com. I'm on my second recover, <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am, I just chugged one. But see, the cool thing about um, killcliff is their energy drinks aren't loaded with caffeine and all the crap that you usually get in an energy drink, it's all natural. Um, the recover version that I drink has electrolytes, B vitamins, no sugar, and doesn't have an excessive amount of caffeine, meaning you can operate without Mm -hmm. being weird. Um, big fan of Kill Cliff. Also their support of Navy SEAL foundation, their partnership was actually founded by a former Navy SEAL, which is pretty cool. And they're Uh, they're
1: a great company to work with. They are. I've, they're just easy. You like contact them and be like, "Hey, do you have this or what about this idea?" And they're just so open and everything. So yeah. it's a good company. So what's the new hotness with them? They got the new. They they have the new recover or I don't know if it's a recover CBD, but they have one of the drinks. I think it's a recover with CBD in it. And Ooh. I, I've been Why I've been can we get that? I've been trying. They're like we can't keep it in stock. It's like you know. Man. So I told them just send me like a, send us a four pack. That's it. That's all. I just, I just want to taste it. Taste it. You know. Ooh, is so beneficial to everybody too. Big yeah. shout out to Uncana. Uh, if you're into CBD, Uncana is our source for CBD. Yep. And, all CBD. Yeah, and we have a, a coupon code for Uncana. It's Fieldcraft 20. So save 20% off your purchase at Uncana, which is a big, I mean, 20% off of anything is is a good chunk of... That's huge. ...of savings right there. So yeah, if you wanted something all natural that's going to, you know, you want to be done with the pills and all the bad, you know, stuff, try something natural and, and use their CBD. They have the gel caps, the, uh, I like the salve they have. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, icy, hot, topical. it's topical. Yeah, it's like a topical solution. I, I put it, I use it on my neck, my lower back. My wife uses it on her back and her, and her neck. And, um, she was in the, in the military. So you know what I mean? It's like a, yeah, it's universal. Know, it's universal. So it doesn't yeah. even matter. You can be anybody that uses it and it's, it, and it works. All right.
0: So our last sponsor is triarch systems.com. It's T R I A A R C T R I A R C systems.com. Charak Systems is our go-to for custom carbines, pistols, and the list goes on. Those guys do good work out of Texas. Uh, Been strategic partners with us. They're actually coming out here soon
1: to videotape. Yep. Right, mid-November, we're going to videotape their um, their series that they they put out for their company. Um, I think it's called Moving Forward. Awesome. And uh, we're just they're, they're going to highlight fieldcraft and, and what we do here and. And just show how our partnership has kind of grown this last – we've been working there for kind of a little bit now, almost a year.
0: I love that. And I love that about their, their company. They're just good people to yep. work with, making quality products. My truck gun is a Triarch Systems uh, uh, AR-15. It has a uh, law tactical folder. It's, a, it's one of the best guns I've ever owned. Yep. Um, also, they got a coupon code for us, Phil craft
1: one word to save 5% on any custom build, anything that you're, yep. you're doing. You like try don't you? I do. My I love my my rifle. It's it's just like I can say it. I'm going to say it hundred times every podcast. It's solid. There's no movement. There's no like you can don't hear anything rattling around like most um, AR platforms do. So they're built strong. I've had not one misfire, misfeed, anything, and I've shot it. And you know I haven't even cleaned it yet, so it's still going. I like AI. your black gunco hat. Thank you. Big shout out to Black Gun Co. Yeah, yeah, those guys are awesome. I love their swag, man.
0: I'm always rocking their swag. Yep. Um, so getting in this podcast with 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods with Kevin Estella. Look, one of the best podcasts I've, I've had in the bushcraft realm. This guy's really knowledgeable, really humble has a really cool story and then he gives really good
1: tips on um, best practices in the wood. Yeah. Um, in order to survive. And I like how his book is laid out. It's it's laid out with, you know, with just the right amount of words and pictures and, and kind of describing you like how to pictures do I content. love the pictures, man. Do, man. I'm yeah. I'm more of a visual type of learner, you know? I like that. I want a pop up book that says like has a oh, fire and yeah. it just
0: pops up and you're like oh that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we catch up with uh, Kevin talking about um, his story, his journey, and becoming a from a history teacher, which is this full time gig, to a wilderness educator. Uh, Kevin Estelle is a really neat uh, guy, and I'm looking forward to this podcast. And yeah, let's kick it off. Kevin, what's going on, man? Welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on.
0: Hey, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Because you know what we haven't done, and it's all on me, man. Uh, what we haven't done is we haven't focused a lot of our t- attention in modern survival on the things that you focus your attention on, which is a lot of bushcraft and a lot of wilderness survival. And it's super important. It's it's not that we uh, uh, want to neglect it. It's just time constraints wise, and we really haven't found a a good subject matter expert to talk to. And, and you're one of the first guys that. We wanted to bring on the podcast because of your expertise and your modern approach to things and get your take on, uh, on bushcraft, outdoor wilderness, et cetera. And so I want to kind of give people who are listening to this podcast, some context, you know, where you're from, where you grew up and, uh, what do you, what do you currently do for a living? And then tell us about the business side of the bushcraft and outdoor wilderness side of, uh, of your business.
2: Yeah, you got it. Um, so my name is Kevin Estella. I'm from New England. I'm from Connecticut. I born and raised here. Unfortunately, uh, surrounded by some very uh, anti-gun friendly people. Um, so I've been involved in bushcraft and survival for many years. Uh, probably my first exposure was my dad. Uh, like a lot of people, except my dad had a really unique experience. Uh, he grew up in the Philippines during World War II. So when my uh, grandfather was the you know very active in the Philippines. It was right around the height of uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, and my grandfather was a, a true patriot through and through, even though he was Filipino. He was kind of, you know, rooting for the U.S. the entire time. Uh, he got into a little bit of trouble with some locals um, that were jailing a uh, couple Japanese guys. So when the Japanese invaded the Philippines, they had him as a wanted man. And my grandfather moved most of the village, if not the entire village, to the uh, to the jungle. And they lived there from 1941 until 1945. So I learned a lot of my skills from my dad, who was just a boy then. But you know, you can imagine that was kind of like the, the coolest dad story you can possibly have when you're a little kid trying to go to sleep, you know, hearing how he lived in a cave and you know was evading the Japanese. So uh that was my childhood. Um and then over the years I picked up, you know, whitewater canoeing and kayaking and became a guide and instructor. So I got a lot of practical hands-on experience on the Farmington River here, Housatonic River. Um, And then, you know, worked at Eastern Mountain Sports, got some, you know, exposure to like what gear is good. Eventually wanted to formalize my outdoors education, so I took some climbing classes with the Eastern Mountain Sports Climbing School, uh, Maine Primitive Skills School, Jack Mountain Bushcraft. And then I met my my mentor, Marty Simon, uh, who was a Vietnam veteran and EOD specialist, an Army survival instructor, and I became his lead survival instructor at the Wilderness Learning Center, and I taught there from 2007 to 2012. Um, along the way, you know, picked up uh, Sayak Kali of Filipino martial art and learned even more survival skills from, from different guys through there. And uh, ever since then, I've just been really busy teaching and training, uh, traveling, and, you know, getting to kind of cross-train with some really amazing people all around the country, um, you know, and learning even more skills that are, are relevant for the, the modern-day survivor.
0: Wow man that's really impressive I think it's really cool especially with the story with your father and grandfather I, I think it you know when i when I think about bushcraft and kind of wilderness survival skill sets I imagine that a lot of the skills that you learn are handed down but also kind of skills that you learn along the way it's not like uh, you know I, I think about tactical skill sets that I learned in the military you're given blocks of instruction but through experience you're given many blocks of instruction and then you kind of Accumulate your wealth of knowledge, but it sounds like you did the same thing. But it, a lot of the skill sets were handed to you from your family, and then obviously given the opportunity to train for your mentor. Um, you learn through experience, and then through his skill set. So, it, so it like, sounds like a really good accumulation of a lot of people's experiences and and trial and error.
2: Yeah, Mike, you're you're spot on. I mean, like you can have a lot of classroom experience, but so much of it is scenario driven. Um, you know, you get out there in the field and, you know, it may not be exactly the way that it looks in a book. So, you know, there's only so much that you can, you can be handed down and the rest of it, you got to learn kind of on the fly and, you know, under a watchful eye. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that I've had some, you know, amazing friends and instructors along the way, uh, that I would consider really, really great friends. Well,
0: what is it, what is it about, uh, you know, outdoor wilderness survival skills or bushcraft? What is it about all that stuff? that attracts you to it is, I mean, is there something outside of obviously the family tie to them living in the woods during world war two? Um, what is it about it that, that you love?
2: So I've always been in, into the outdoors, like back before the discovery channel stopped showing like animals eating animals. Um, I was always into like learning about, Hey, what's this, what's that in the great outdoors, you know, going out with my friends and then coming back covered in mud. Cause you know, I was chasing frogs through, through swamps and stuff like that. So I just, I love the outdoors. I find it's very relaxing. Um, But I think as I got older, you know, if you were to talk to the 12 or the 15-year-old me and say, why do I like bushcraft and survival? I'd give you an answer like that. But, you know, now I think it's more about the concept of readiness. Um, And it's something that's lost in this world because, unfortunately, so many people are are quick to make a phone call if they need help instead of kind of digging deep and and relying on yourself and being able to work your way out of a solution. So I think it's the challenge. Um, I believe that, you know, when you you push yourself through, you know, adversity like that, you you tend to build some, some character that, you know, you go to your nine to five job and suddenly things aren't as difficult because you go into the wilderness and it can really kick your ass, you know. So I think that's you know, the more mature version of why I like it. But originally it was because I just found the outdoors just a great place to, to hang out.
0: Yeah, that's interesting about how you talk about readiness and the application of this as it seems like, you know, you know, back in the day when we didn't have this immersion of technology, everybody kind of had an idea, whether it was homesteading or growing up uh, with the resources that they had about kind of survival. I mean, we, we knew how to survive and just live um, off the land and, you know, live without the amenities that we have today. But obviously, you know, technology has driven us in a direction further away from that truth or further away from that skill set. And so w- when you think about readiness, when you think about preparedness, uh, what, what kind of, what's your ideology on like, how do you think the direction of our society is going? And then how important are these skill sets implemented into your skill sets, uh, to ensure that you, you do
2: survive. Yeah. Um, So my, my formula for readiness is, uh, from SIAC, you know, we call it the SIAC readiness formula and it's equal parts, awareness, preparedness, and willingness. Mm -hmm. So one, a person could be aware and prepared, but not willing. And there are countless cases of people who carry firearms for self-defense. And when the shit hits the fan, they don't ever draw their gun because they're afraid, you know, or they haven't run through those scenarios in their head. Mm -hmm. Uh, A person could be willing and prepared, but not aware. And that's anyone that decides to, you know, go out to a bar and, and tie one on. And then, you know, when their loved one has a gun to their head, they don't realize it, you know, and they, they can't act. So they're not truly ready. Um, true, true readiness is really the combination of those three. And you have to have all three of those elements. Um, so what I, where I see myself fitting into, you know, the present day like our society is I like giving people skill sets, like real skills. Um, granted, I love as a writer, I get to inform people about really cool gear or, you know, hey, this is uh, some background knowledge and some historical stuff, but I like actually seeing in the courses that I teach people leveling up in 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, whatever it may be that I I have with them uh, to know that they're able to go out and apply these skills to the real world, you know? And even if it's something as simple as like, hey, we're hanging out around the fire, it's after a formal instruction, we're just learning how to tie a whole bunch of paracord knots. Um, You know, seeing people use those knots like, you know, because their their bumper falls off their car after an accident, and they have to get it back on to get the last you know three miles to home. You know, something like that. So I think uh, it's really important that people embrace these skills because you know our old motto at the Wilderness Learning Center was always prepared, prepared all ways. So the more that you carry, the the better prepared you are, um, and you never know what what's going to come around the corner.
0: Wow, I love that man. I love that that tie in too with the uh, situational awareness. Of being aware, and then, man, that it's it. I, I even I haven't even thought about it in that in that scenario where you know readiness doesn't just fall into direct skill sets. It falls into uh, this this triangle of uh, or this pyramid of readiness and awareness and and understanding your environment. And you guys articulate it very well. And you teach these specific skill sets. Um, to people who have no base or no understanding of knowledge. So it's a, a very good uh, academic way leading into technical skills application-wise of, uh, of learning about this stuff. And that's what I love about you guys. And I have your book sitting in front of me and I've nice. been a fan since the first time I read it, but it's called 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the, in the Woods. And I wanna transition into some of the skill sets that you do teach. Um, when I think about prioritizing skill sets, it seems like there's a lot of things that you could learn, like you said, paracord, uh, ways of tying knots, um, you know ways of building shelters, fire, et cetera. Can you go over a few of the skill sets that you think are critical, uh, especially tied to readiness in the in these kind of worst case scenarios? Where you're out and you you know the unexpected happens, and then you have to survive. And what you think are the most important skill sets uh, in in that genre?
2: So being half Filipino, I'm definitely going to fall back on the knife. Um, You know, I think knife skills are so critical, not just you know carrying a knife because that's that's half the battle. I mean, it's it really bothers me when I when I am around a a group of guys and someone says, "Hey, does anyone have a knife?" and guys are looking around instead of kind of you know checking their pockets to see if they, they have one in their pocket or if they left it somewhere, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that drives me nuts. So I think the knife skills are, are really important, but not just the skills that are like, Oh, let's see how, how well this knife chops into wood, but actually, okay. Can you carve with it? Can you, you know, how can you grip it in different ways where you can maximize the utility of that blade? Um, I think the knife skills are super important. Um, but then not just using a knife as a knife, but using a knife as, as a means to create, uh, other tools, right. And seeing the knife as, as a, as like a vehicle to make things that you need. So knife skills are important. Fire skills, obviously, because, I mean, everyone knows that fire is is a protector. Fire can can warm you. It can cook your food, purify your water, all that great stuff. Um, cordage skills are way up there because not only do you need to know how to tie knots, but how do you make cordage, right? And I think second to fire making, it's probably the hardest skill in the great outdoors, um, you know, making strong, reliable cordage off the land. But, You know, with a little bit of base knowledge, one can, you know, test a few things and see if something is long, strong, and flexible. Um, You know, shelter, I think, is really important for the short term, right? Like, if we're talking, like, the short game of survival, 72 hours, 24 hours, uh, learning how to build a shelter overnight that you can sleep inside of, over and under, like, what are your components that make that up? Um, But then once you get into, like, the longer survival, you know, the emergencies that last longer than 72 hours it's all about game getting, right? Like, how are you able to put food on the table? Can you make nets? Can you carve a net needle? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I couldn't go into in that book because my editor, uh, believe it or not, actually cut me down from a hundred and one thousand words that I delivered. They said, Oh, you got to cut it by a third. So oh my God. I, uh, yeah, that was, that was a big, you know, kick in the ass. Well, I'm looking forward and to then, part uh, two
0: and part three of that then, I guess.
2: Well, the, the part two, the part two is going to have to wait a while. Um, part, the second book is actually gonna be uh like a campfire like cooking book and recipes and food awesome. processing. But three I'm hoping they'll let me go into the advanced skills. Like this is axemanship, this is how you how you pole and canoe a, a canoe, this is how you use a winter pulk for winter camping, like that type of stuff. And I just have to prove to them that there's an audience out there that actually that actually wants to read it. Um but yeah, all these skills they all tie in. So, you know, just getting back to the initial part of the conversation we had. You know, you say you might have neglected, you know, teaching some of the modern stuff, but even even driving skills are crazy important. Like all the overlanding I see on your Instagram page, like there there are skills that are tied into that that easily translate into bushcraft and survival. So you can't knock yourself too hard.
0: Oh, yeah. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, We're trying our best, but I, there's so many things to learn in the skill sets. And I, that's what I love about you is like you have this focus on – like, like so definitively you outline 101 skills you need to survive in the woods. And when I read that, it's so articulated and so organized that anybody with no experience can pick it up and go, okay, let me walk through each one of these skill sets. And I love the fact that, you know, you focus your attention specifically on, you know, the most effective wilderness know-how on fire making, knife work, navigation, shelter, food, and more. I love that. Um, you talked about knives and you know, Filipino, Asian culture, we grow up with mm-hmm. knives. That's, I, I grew up with a katana for some reason, uh, yeah. in my hands. But when you, when you talk about knives, can you walk us through some of your processes for, uh, what you think are the best knives? Uh, how do you, how do you sharpen your knives? Like some of the educational points with, uh, knives for somebody who's, you know, who has no idea why you should carry a knife?
2: Sure. Um, so with knives, it's very, very personal. Like I could easily go through my process of how I select boots, but my foot is very different than a lot of other people. So I could talk to a, you know, a tiny little person that has like a size seven foot and I could be like, well, my shoes is a size 13 and it's not going to fit you. So a lot of what I'm going to say is going to relate to me, but it could be applied to different people if they ask the right questions. And, you know, and something I'm a firm believer in is that. The more questions you ask, that's really what's going to bring you to to true knowledge, right? Like, it's not the statements you make, it's the questions you ask. So um, one of the questions that I always ask with a knife is, what's the intended purpose? You know, and some people don't even know why they're carrying a knife. Well, why would I carry this knife? Well, that's the question that you should probably ask before you select which knife. Mm. Um, but to give an idea, like... I always have a Swiss Army knife with me. Um, that's my my politically correct knife. I pull that thing out when someone says, do you have a knife? Because I don't want to pull out a fixed blade. I don't want to pull out something that's going to raise attention. And, you know, anywhere I've traveled, a Swiss Army knife has flown under the radar. So I think a good knife that is politically correct is a, is a wise choice, especially one with a saw, especially one with scissors that, you know, make it look more like a tool than anything but a weapon. So very low weapon characteristics. Um, you know, you want to always ask that question, like, hey, does this have more weapon characteristics or weapon uh, you know, recognition or tool recognition? But if you, have your, if you have that book in front of you, um, that 101 Skills book, the knife that I used throughout that entire book is one that I designed, and I used the very logical process of designing it. Um, I looked at all the knives that I carried for 10 years plus as a, as a survival instructor or a guide and whatnot, and I said, all right, most of them were this length, this, this size blade, this type of blade handle, and so forth. And I said, all right, these are the parameters I have to work with. I sketched it down on a piece of paper. I then transferred it to a, like a cheap cutting board, uh, like a roll-up cutting board. I called up a buddy, uh, Scott Gossman. And I was like, Hey dude, can you make this knife for me? And he still has the template. And he, he laughs at me for sending him, you know, cheap cutting board template. But, um, he sent it to me, I, I started using it, and next thing you know, he asked me if he could make one for himself, and I was like, yeah, of course, man. It's your knife. You made it for me. Um, And now it's like one of his number one sellers. But, uh, you know, for the person that doesn't have any knife experience, you want to think about what's legal to carry. Where are you carrying it? How are you carrying it? Uh, You want to ask the question, how is it going to be carried? Not necessarily where on your body, but is it going to be carried deep concealment? Right, where you're not going to be able to get to it quickly, or are you are going to carry it outside the waist belt, something that you can access fast? Mm-hmm. Um, will it have better retention or less retention? Is it a self-defense blade? Is it a, a blade that you know, you're going to carry a lot um, and use very little, because that will determine if you need to sharpen it? Um, you asked about sharpening. Sharpening, for me, is uh, a lot of stropping with uh, various types of compounds, you know, right? because you can maintain a blade and keep it cr- pretty crazy sharp uh, with just stropping, and you don't have to take it to a stone or anything and do any, like, real big material removal. So uh, there's a lot of questions with blades. Like, you know, there uh, we could do a whole podcast on just knives, and, you know, I could I could answer a million questions about them, but it's very, very personal. Um, the main thing is find something that's practical, something that you're actually going to carry, you're not going to leave at home, uh, and something that you actually test. Um, keep in mind your knife is a tool, right? Don't put a lot of... Uh, Lot of emotion into your blades like don't carry something that you're not going to use because you're going to be afraid to damage it right it's just oh, cool. wow. um, that's a good point you know it, yeah and i mean you mentioned the you mentioned the katana um you know and that's something that that gets brought up frequently uh when we talk about knives because samurais believe that that was their soul right and that was something that no one else could touch like you know i always think of uh you know universal weapons criteria or universal tools criteria um something my friend uh, Tom Kyer mentions, you know, is this something that you could easily replace, right? And this relates to everything from toothpicks to tanks. You know, how lightweight is it? Um, You know, how easy is it to field service? How many people does it take to maintain? Like, there's a million questions you can ask of any particular tool, and it relates to everything from toothpicks to tanks. So, yeah, that's uh, a big one. Like, would I be okay giving this off to someone if they needed it and if I had a double, you know? yeah that thing.
0: well that's super interesting man it's a and it's a lot of good information i when i think about knives i, d- I do the same thing i carry the swiss army knife like an old swiss army knife with paracord attached to it just just for that reason where you you said you know kind of reducing the alarm or the signature of pulling out a fixed blade uh you know you have a, a dan winkler blade and you pull out that blade and the way it looks <laughs> i mean you'll scare people into hiding um do you, What are you, what's your feeling and take on, uh, on hatchets and axes? I've, I've done a couple articles for off grid and other magazines yeah. talking about, uh, you know, the most important things that you can carry in the field. I'm kind of interested in your take on hatchets, axes, and then, uh, what you think if you had to carry one piece of equipment into the field, um, obviously that's a, that's kind of a, a generic, uh, survival question that goes out to all the experts. But if you had yeah. to take one piece of equipment in the field, what would it be?
2: So, so hatchets and axes—they're uh, great three-season tool, actually four-season tools. Um, but in reality, uh, I, you're probably using them uh, more in cold weather than summer weather. Um, Hatchets—they work great on hardwoods. I always think hatchet versus machete. Machetes work well because they travel quickly. They can go through green vegetation really fast. They can go through vines easily, grasses easily. And they're going to do the work that a hatchet can't. But machetes, uh, when you look at hard use, um, you know, the axe is going to be better. It's going to be a little bit heavier. You don't have to swing it as hard. The, the weight of the tool is going to do the job. But they're, it's really apples and oranges at that point. I love hatchets. I love axes. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of them. They, uh, But they, they come with their risk and they come with you know, with some of their their shortfalls too. You know, obviously a a shorter axe or a shorter hatchet is going to be more dangerous than a full-size felling axe. And any time that I've taught uh, kids or adults how to use an axe if they've never used one before, I put them on their knees and I give them a full-size felling axe, uh, a cheap felling axe, and I say, all right, if you're going to miss, it's going to go right into the ground. Um, So I think that's something that you have to really consider. But, you know, one of the companies that I do a lot of business with that I'm going to be doing some collaborations with is RMJ Tactical. And I love their stuff. I mean, I've used their hatchets uh, up in Alaska. I've used their hatchets in courses showing people um, how you can cut through metal with them. Like, if you're looking for a a tough hatchet, they they do a pretty good job. They've got one called the Outpost. That's one of my favorites. Um, Now, as far as, you know, the the hatchets and, you know, the the different ones that I'd recommend, I mean, I think like a one-tool option, uh, the hatchet wouldn't be my tool. I think I would go with more of a heavy knife. Uh, something with like like a nine inch blade. I've got a bolo that Scott made for me. That was my dad's design. Uh, Scott Gosman made for me. That might be my one tool. Um, but I'd go maybe with a heavy knife. That's a compromise, but uh, between a, a machete and an axe, I can always use the area closest to the handle for, uh, or for, to closest to the grip for fine carving. I can always use the belly of the blade for for chopping. Um, you know, and it gives me a little bit of the weight of the of like a light hatchet, but also the length of, of a machete if I needed it. Um, so that would probably be my one tool if I could carry just one.
0: I like that, man. I, I like the, the the context of landing lining out that the the axe or hatchet could be dangerous because I've you know I, what was that show? Uh, the one where they put them out in like Patagonia for extin- oh alone alone a great show yeah great show and I I, I was addicted to that show. And I remember, uh, I always wanted to, like I put in for Naked and Afraid, got casted for that and got casted for another survival show, but I wanted to be casted for that show because that show, you know, actually, I mean, I don't know if it did really well ratings wise, but it, it was super interesting to see people's equipment choices and then how that equipment was working for them uh, for extended periods of time. And w- one of the contestants, uh, ha- I, I don't, I'm not sure how it happened, I think they they went to strike something and that. Axe, or because they were using it as a close tool, right? So they weren't smashing hard wood. Uh, they were using it up close and personal because they didn't have a knife option. And they slipped and basically crushed their hand with a blade, which obviously co- caused a, a severe injury and laceration. But a lot of people don't consider that because they think, you know, a, a hatchet or an axe is just an end all be all tool, but it's one of the most dangerous tools in survival. And if you don't know how to use it properly, it, it's not forgiving. You will do some serious damage to yourself.
2: Yeah, and as a follow-up to that, uh, a lot of guys that recommend, oh, carry a hatchet, carry an axe, or whatever. It's, it's funny, you know, someone hasn't really thought out a plan if they don't include a tourniquet. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. like you carry you carry that tool, and it could instantly, instantly end your situation. It could be a multiplier of uh, like epic proportions, and you're not recommending a tourniquet. But uh, yeah, yeah like that show that. alone's awesome. Uh, and big shout out to, uh, Jordan Jonas. I've never met the man, but he was the winner of the most recent one. And the dude killed a, a Wolverine with a, with a hatchet. Wow. Uh, he, yeah. He killed a Wolverine. He killed a moose. Like the dude was a total stud. He so, killed a moose. You know? Yeah. He was, he was the first contestant to take down a big game animal. And I mean, he had meat for days.
0: What did he um, use? What did he, he use to take he, it down? He
2: brought a bow. Yeah. He oh, brought wow. a bow. He broadheads. and wow. it took him hours to, uh, Took him hours to process that thing, and I mean, I was watching this thing in awe. Wow. Um, he lived with the Sami people up in the Arctic. Like this guy had skills to boot, and uh I mean, total stud when it came to to killing things and living off the land. Like this guy was a pro. That's so amazing. Big shout man. out to that dude. Uh,
0: you know, I wanted to ask you because I've I've been a little bit I've dived a little bit into bushcraft, and what I what I always try to clarify for people is people think just because I was a Green Beret, or just because people become Green Berets, that they're instantaneously survival experts. And it's the complete opposite. In fact, in survival, which we only get small blocks of it in CRC, uh, which is the high-risk version for pilots and special operations guys, we only get a week of actual hands-on survival skills, uh, which includes killing a rabbit, killing a chicken, skinning, traps, snares, all that stuff. But it's it's such a small block of instruction. Unless you're a passionate person who loves the skill set and uh, stays engaged, it's very perishable. And and what I learned uh, over the years in bushcraft is one of the hardest skill sets to master is fire making in in the in the woods mm-hmm. in the field. And I've I have battled uh, successfully and unsuccessfully with making a fire using only. Uh, bushcraft means or rudimentary means. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to get your take on on kind of fire and your philosophy on fire and um, your your ideas for starting a, a fire and kind of the most successful skill sets that you've seen uh, that you use in when you teach bushcraft.
2: Yeah. Um, so all of this that I'm about to say comes directly from. My instructor marty uh marty like i said he was an army survival instructor that was actually his MOS his in the military after vietnam i mean the dude was legit i mean i'm gonna go see him in a couple weeks and i love picking his brain because he's got so much knowledge but marty was always big on uh on carrying a lot of lot of fire uh fire kit because it is so important uh he even put inside of his Sorel boots an extra ferro rod that he sewed in um you know, because he knew that he never wanted to be without his boots in the winter. And if he had his boots, he had an extra ferro ferro rod. Um, You know, in terms of of building fire, there's no doubt about it. Like fire by friction is probably one of the most coveted skills that people have, because you can say that you're an elite club that can make fire by, you know, essentially rubbing sticks together. But it's not my go-to, especially not in the Northeast, where we have such a high moisture content in the wood. Mm -hmm. Out in, in Arizona, where you guys are, it's so much easier with you know, you got Soto, you've got yucca. That that's a great plant for for fire, uh, fire by friction. But my personal preference for making fire, um, you know, I don't I don't like ego driven uh, gear choices. And while the ferro rod is awesome, it's a great tool, and I carry one every single day on the other side of my Swiss Army knife. I carry a lighter every day, even though I don't smoke cigarettes. Um, you know, and the thing is, I'd rather have a flame um, create my fire for me than a spark. And it's easier getting back to that that uh, weapons criteria or gear criteria, I can more easily replace a Bic lighter in a convenience store than I can go into a gas station and say, hey, do you have an extra ferro rod? So I save my ferro rod for my secondary uh, fire starter, and my Bic lighter with a couple bike inner tubes over it is my primary. Um, Bic lighter for most of the year, and then when it gets down to you know uh, colder temps where the Bic lighter doesn't work as well, and even if I put it on the inside of my jacket, it's still not going to be that great. I switch over to um, an Exotac lighter that has uh, you know, traditional lighter fluid and a wick. So my primary is a, a lighter. My secondary is a ferro rod. Again, it's not as, as sexy and cool as the guy that's creating sparks and making fire, but, you know, I'm not ego-driven in, in my gear choices.
0: Oh, I like that, man. We we, we actually talk about Bic lighters as well as, as the primary and the contingency because they're, they're everywhere. I mean, you go to a Walmart, you could buy 10,000 of them because they're just everywhere. And even though people are smoking less, they're, they're still around. Yeah. I mean, you can get them super cheap and super available. I kind of, I'm under the, like I buy bags of Bic lighters and just throw them everywhere. Cause they, in the worst case scenario, I'm probably not going to be thinking about it, but I want to have access to lighters all over the place because you never know when you're going to need a flame or just need a lighter in, in, for utility. Um,
2: yeah. In, uh, in Bic lighters, like this is just a interesting fact. You'll get 1000 one second fires out of a Bic lighter, Wow, which for a buck yeah sign me up man you
0: know yeah and and it's interesting what you said that people don't understand i don't think about fire and and understanding how fires ignite or start when you spark or or when you add friction to a ferro rod you're just you're chemically combining or grinding or igniting the magnesium or something like that right and then it sparks but that spark is not fire and i i've actually taught a little bit of of uh, of that before and people misunderstood or misunderstood it and misrepresented what they thought was a fire like literally um they were standing over um you know the wood that we had compiled dropping the spark onto the fl- onto the wood <laughs> and then expecting yeah. a flame and i'm like man that the ignition of a flame is completely different now now we need an accelerant I, i'm curious your thoughts on accelerants and fuels um um, and I know some schoolhouses teach, like, you know, the toothpicks, the pencils, and then the, the bigger sticks. Yep. And then mm-hmm. uh, some teach Vaseline over, you know, carrying some tender inside of your, your kit. What, what are your thoughts on, on carrying the stuff that you need to ignite flame?
2: Oh man, I love that idea. Um I and you know, we talk about redundant layers, you know, redundant fire starters. There's also redundant options when you when you're thinking about tinder. I mean, Vaseline cotton balls have been around forever, and you're not going to find a better affordable way of making fire. And you I mean, you go to a hotel, they have cotton balls in the bathroom. Um you know, and you can usually ask the the front desk if they have Vaseline or if they have something like that, and I'm sure they they would. Um, So I'm a big fan of carrying that on you, Um, whether you decide to carry the pre-made stuff uh, that you can buy in a store, which, again, it gets a little bit more expensive, like Tinder quick. But uh, I I, I love the idea of having it on you. But even if you have a T-shirt or if you have a pair of socks and you've got chapstick in your pocket, a lot of people don't realize you can scrape the bottom hem of your shirt and create lint. Um, you know, and you can just mix that with the, the Carmex or, you know, whatever you're using for your, your chapstick. And that could be a, oh uh, an emergency fire starter. Yeah. My buddy, big John, uh, (laughs) we were on a camping trip in in Northern Maine back in 2007. We ran through every bit of Vaseline cotton that we had. And that was our final option was just banking a fire with our, our t-shirt hems, uh, some, you know, paper towel that we had in our, our kit. And he had a a thing of Carmex, and that was the last last option that we had, and it finally got the fire going after, like, an hour and a half of trying to coax it in the pouring rain. Oh, wow, so, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, so it's a lot better having it in that brief second, you know, than having to search all night for the right tinder. Um, you know, you asked about the, you know, what's my philosophy? I believe that you should have you know, either coal extenders or you should have a a spark extender, flame extender, something that's gonna serve as a tinder that's going to, you know, build the flame and then eventually you'll have your kindling that'll build it a little bit more. And then whether you start with, you know, pencil lead thickness or toothpick thickness, whatever thickness you want, it's really important never to jump in the diameter of it more than twice the diameter of what you're currently using. So I'm not gonna jump from like a pencil to a wrist size. Yeah. Right. And I'm not gonna jump from Finger size up to like the size of my thigh. But if I work slowly and progressively, then I can build the fire and, you know, then it's going to
0: self-sustain after that. Oh, I love that. I love that. So you, a couple of the times you, you've mentioned that you carry like on your person or you carry these specific things like the ferro rod on your Swiss army knife. I'm, I'm curious, you know, we, everybody's talking every, every day carry. Now EDC is a popular thing, but, t- but typically when people talk about everyday carry, Uh, in our context, we want people to carry a minimalist survival kit, um, but Mm -hmm. most people consider it like an everyday carry firearm and holster. Yeah. Um, for you outside, you know, I'm interested to hear your everyday carry period. And then if you're including, um, these bushcraft means of doing things as part of your everyday carry.
2: Yeah. Um, so I'm a high school history teacher full time. Um, so I can't carry any of my pistols at work. Um. I would gladly, gladly shoot any qualification course and I know I would crush it. Um, but they would never, ever let us carry handguns in the school. Um, so I'm really, you know, I'm a legislated victim and that's something that drives me nuts. Um, cause like I said, I would gladly in front of everyone under any pressure, shoot any qualification course and I know i would do okay. Um, but something that, that I would say is really important is that if I can't carry that, then I have to have other plans in place. So, uh, you know, my, my everyday carry. If we're taking out the the firearm, or taking out the pistol, or taking out the the fixed blade uh, that I would carry on my other strong side, then it's primarily a Swiss Army knife in my right front pocket with the ferro rod. I always have a flashlight in my left front pocket. I always have my lighter in my left front pocket. I have a, a merino wool bandana in my uh, left rear pocket at all times, um, and that's really what I consider like a a flexible. Uh, multi-tool. You know, something that I could turn into a into an impact device. I could use it as a pressure bandage. I could use it as a small small container if I need to carry a bunch of stuff. I always have a tourniquet on me. Um, you know, even if I can't carry a pistol, I know that car accidents happen, and I've always got one nearby, usually in my jacket pocket. Um, so I've got that stuff as, as a bare minimum. Uh, I usually carry a small length of paracord, some chapstick, and then I've got a real small pocket emergency kit. And something that is a just a play on words, or maybe it's a way you can change your perspective. I don't consider my my personal items like my personal emergency kit. I don't like calling them pocket survival kits because the survival kit is already assuming that the emergency has lasted that long to take me there to a survival situation. Mm. I'd rather have stuff on me that I can address emergencies quickly. And if I can address the emergency, then it doesn't become a true survival situation. So Um, You know, I carry a lot of, like, little things in there, like a backup compass, a little squeeze light. Um, So in that little emergency kit, it's just, you know, redundant layers again. Um, And then, obviously, there's stuff in my briefcase for work. I've got a a bullet blocker, 3A ballistic shield in there and stuff that, again, I have to put myself more on the defensive, uh, you know, considering I'm legislated into not carrying certain things. But uh, I'd rather rather be ready than, you know, wish I had something that I, I left at home.
0: Uh, I love that man I, well, I you something you you said just resonates uh with me where you mentioned that um, an emergency is different than an actual survival contingent where you're responding to something that already took place when you're in the emergency emergency phase, you're kind of, you're addressing it as it, as it's happening. And so you yeah. haven't gone into this contingency. What, what is your kind of, you know, whether it's a pillar or just a process, uh, what is your philosophy on, 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 on that, uh, timeline? Do you have a breakdown of timeline?
2: So, uh, that kind of gets into like survival priorities. Um, you know, there is no, there is no set priority list. Um, cause every scenario is going to drive the priorities differently. Uh, you may be involved in an automobile crash where your first priority won't be shelter, um, because you might be stuck in the car and the car is shelter. Um, you may find that, that say that another automobile crash, you might not want to have any fire because your clothes are covered in gasoline, you know, or you're in an area where there, there could be exposed fuel. Um, you know, i I'm a firm believer that you should always have water on you, you know, everything that you do should be driven by by averages, like true averages, but you can't just assume that that average is going to work out for you. Um, you know, when I was a little bit heavier like 230, um doing more powerlifting, um and I had a little bit more fat on me, I know I could go longer, more weeks probably without food, um but now, you know, trimming down, getting ready for a few different things, uh, I know that I probably wouldn't be able to go as long. So when someone says, hey, a person can survive three weeks without food, well, what about the marathon runner? You know, the dude that has no fat on him mm-hmm. whatsoever. He's going to die a lot faster. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the survival priorities are important. I don't put any set numbers on them. Um, you know, I think in terms of emergency versus survival, like 72 hours is the magic number. Everyone knows 72-hour kits. So anything past that might be survival. Um but it could be really, really, you know, dependent on, you know, what that emergency is. I mean, if it's a bleeding, uh, you know, traumatic uh, injury, you're not going to have days. I mean, that's a, a matter of seconds if, if you're lucky. Um, so it's going to it's going to vary depending on the emergency.
0: Now, now, are you are you doing anything outside of like the? you know, the, the hands-on ready access to equipment on your person and your vehicle, do you do any preparation at home? Do you have like generators or do you have, uh, kind of a philosophy on, on, we call it safe house with Philcraft? craft yeah. where we break it down into like long-term sustainable, uh, survival. Uh, what's your idea on, on like the long-term vision of survival?
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've definitely have, I've taken, I've taken the necessary precautions to, uh, to, you know, ensure that life goes on, you know, with what I have in my house, um, you know, all the typical stuff people would imagine in emergencies, water and emergency lights and so forth. Um, you know, something that I think your your listeners would definitely appreciate is, you know, we, we consider houses safe houses, right? Like, your, like the castle philosophy that you're strongest at your house. And, you know, we're weakest in transition. Uh, whether you are, you know, in transport or if you're transitioning, you know, a ball inbound from you know, in a basketball game, you know, onto the court that in that moment where that ball is getting put in play, it's in transition. It's the weakest time and things could happen. Um, You know, something that I like telling people is in your home, you shouldn't have a room that you consider a safe room. You should consider it a war room. Um, Just that philosophy change, that perspective change, Mm. right? You shouldn't just think of, okay, this person broke into my house and I'm going to go to my safe room and defend my house. It's like, now they broke into my house and they're in the war room now. And it's going to be really bad for them until they they get out of the house. Um, So I think it's really important that you have redundant layers. You have layers that you keep on your person. You keep uh, certain stuff in your car. Uh, Again, stuff in your car discreetly so people don't break into it. Stuff in your house. Um, And I think it's really important, too, that people keep a kit in their office or wherever their place of work is. Because, you know, you think about like a real estate model. Um, what I mean by real estate model is when you buy a house, someone always asks like, hey, where do you spend most of your time? Okay, if you spend most of the time in the bedroom, then that's what you should be looking for when you buy your house. So we spend eight hours of our day sleeping. We spend eight hours a day at work, spend eight hours a day you know, miscellaneous. So if eight hours of our day is spent at work, we should spend wow. an equal amount of time making that, that spot ready yeah. because if we think logically like, where is something going to happen, it's going to be where we're spending time. So I think it's really important. You know, I spend an hour in my car total commuting back and forth to work every day. I have so much stuff in my car, but not as much as I do prepping my my uh, classroom, prepping my home. You know, and I base that off of you know what could realistically happen. You know, in the amount of time that I spend there.
0: Wow, that's very it, man. I never even thought about that. That it's so true. You spend a third of your time mostly at work, and I I think of my you know the 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 philosophy for us is on person you know you, the stuff that you carry mm-hmm. on your person but that's limited as well because if it's on your person it's obviously um the capacity isn't that great but if you look at your workplace as a like you do your home where you reinforce yeah. w- you know whatever it is if it's an aid bag that you keep at your desk side or inside your closet at work um yep. it just reinforces your position and allows you to be able to deal it with you know statistically a broader amount of time where so, something's more, more likely or most likely to happen that's that's really yeah. great information
2: and here's here's where like the worlds kind of interact and, and overarch so you know Marty used to always talk about you know military effectiveness combat effectiveness is you know the ability to shoot move communicate and resupply or shoot move communicate and support so in the bushcraft and the survival world and the prepper world especially the preppers um, you know the idea of the of the cash, is so, so important because you might have, say, a 10-mile drive to work, and if your car breaks down and there's, say, a regional or a local emergency where the roads are closed and you can't get your car through, do you have things staged along the way? Like, even if it's a five-gallon bucket that you prep with a couple bottles of water and, you know, maybe some, some extra socks or something like that, and you hide it in the wood line, you know, just off the woods, you know, where it wouldn't be that... Uh, difficult to do and only you would know about it. So along the way, let's say that you did have to get home and you couldn't drive and you were forced to walk. Instead of having the giant bag on your back that screams, hey, I got all this cool shit in my bag. Could you carry a smaller bag discreetly and then use these little discreet caches along the way to feed you to resupply and so forth? You know, wow. so There's there's so many different ideas that are out
0: there. Yeah, I love that. We were, we were looking at the the go rig challenge, which we're, we're planning to do cause we want to be able to capture it and record it next year of, of moving from either network to network, which is, you know, your social network and the, you know, think of it like many safe houses along the way yeah. along your route. And then uh, even caches along that route where you would barter for silver and gold, we were going to do silver and gold coins where, you know, we'd go to a cache point and, that person would have hid food and water, and then we replace it with a coin or we do a bona fides meet and we hand off the gold or, gold or silver. And it's like facilitating our movement, but understanding that it's the expansion of a network, whether that's technical, um, you know, logistical, or social, um, or all things combined, but it, it's literally the way in which you continue to move or continue to sustain survival because it's not just going to be you on your own accord. Um, you have to pre-plan and have to think about those contingencies.
2: That's so cool that it's not just like a physical challenge that it's, it's combining that, that mental aspect too, you know, and that, that's really cool that you got that challenge going.
0: Yeah. I can't wait, man. I'm, I'm excited about that. And, and, uh, I w I wanted to, to, to pick your brain on mindset too, you know this is the overarching i guess i mean we we consider it kind of like the roof or the infrastructure that holds everything together and and a lot of people have different philosophies on mindset and you know it's it's almost becoming a a, a super marketing tactic right to include sure. mindset is everything and and all the time because um somebody's going to buy into it but I, I like tangible approaches to mindset i know you guys you you have some philosophies on, on mindset and the application of that into survival. What's your take on mindset and survival?
2: Oh, wow. So mindset's everything. Uh, I mean, there's so many great books out there that, that delve deep into psychology and psychology is a section of most survival manuals that guys will flip right past. Cause they're like, I want to see the snares. I want to see the fire making. I want to see the knives. And it's probably the most important, uh, you know, there's crazy stories of people that have survived under the most ridiculous circumstances, like the most insane circumstances, and it's all because of that willpower. Um, you know, mindset is one of those those intangibles that you can't teach. Like, I could give someone a knife, I can give someone a fire starter, but it's really that mindset that, that's so difficult to teach, and it only really comes with experience and, you know, with uh, with running mental reps of, hey, what if, you know, the, the what if game. Um, my mindset philosophy you know, with with my, it starts with my family's, um, my family's philosophy during world war two, when the Japanese were in the Philippines was to the last man or to the last drop. And it was the idea that you don't give up fighting until the last drop of blood is out of your body. Um, so that was something that my dad always instilled in me. He's like, you don't quit, you know, you're not quitting. Um, so that was a a very important thing that I, I always lived with at the wilderness learning center. It was the always prepared, the prepared always. Um, you know, knowing that you can carry these skills with you and, you know, uh, if you have these skills, you just have to apply them. You can be resourceful without having a lot of resources, you know, and that's so so critical. That's one of the most important mindsets of the survivor. Um, you know, PSYOC has taught me the feeder mindset, you know, be proactive instead of reactive. Um, you know, constantly be constantly look for work, constantly look to, to do something to improve your situation, be better every single day. Um, you know, so I think all of these mindsets are complementary. Um, you know, you put every one of these, these people, whether it's my father, Marty, um, you know, any of my side constructors in a, in a room, they're all going to get together and, and like each other because they all think similarly. Um, you know, whether you want to call yourself an alpha or, or you want to call yourself a feeder, whatever it may be, you know, I think we all agree on, you know, the idea that you, you kind of, you kind of want to, uh, you, you want to take care of yourself. Um, and you realize that there's a, a bigger picture than just yourself, you know, you're, you want to get home to someone, right? So you're not just surviving for you. You're surviving for your family's legacy or, you know, for your kids at home, your wife at home, your your husband at home, whoever it is. Um, there, there's just a lot that's, that's going on with mindset. Um, it's probably my, my most interesting or my most favorite topic that I study now. Um, you know, back in the day it was fire, but now I find, I like reading stories of people that have gotten through the worst, and it's usually attributed to just, you know, thinking differently, right, about their situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that, man. I, I, I'm addicted to that as well because I I like to take um, the lessons learned from other people's experiences or mistakes, and in in some in some cases, and I think what's interesting about the mindset that you say uh, you got from your family. I do think that that's, that's something that's inherent um, um, and, and at its core what mindset really is. Because I, 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 tr- I try to teach it, right? We, we try to teach mindset and instill these processes, but at the end of the day, it's just the replication of a process or the emulation of a process. It's not necessarily at the core what mindset is. Like I was taught from an Asian mother as well, that, you, you know, never give up, never quit. And these things were instilled into me from my family, you know, from my mother and father, my father being army, my mother yeah. being hardcore Asian. And, uh, yeah. and you, when you grow up in an Asian home, you, you, there's just an or, like air of discipline. And then if you add that on top of the military, it's like, it's just hardcore as far as like an upbringing and building the right mindset. But if you're not raised with that, you have to start from, from nothing, and And at least having processes and having uh ways to think through processes uh in the worst case scenario are going to with experience obviously implement some kind of mindset and I guess like that's what you were saying at the end it's like you need the experience you need the maybe the hard lessons learned you need the training to to build that mindset
2: yeah, and there's little things too, like uh you know little habits that are so powerful um you know I've got a couple of japanese friends who who talk about how. They, uh you know they'll get it like a ninety-eight on an exam, and their parents would be like, "That's it, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> why did not you get the 100, You know, uh, and and that's totally cool because you know you you should always say to yourself, "What else I can do better? I can do better, even if what you're doing is is top the line, right? You could always force yourself to to look to do more, right? Never get into a a pattern of complacency. Um, then there's always the you know a lot of a lot of your your military brother and our are really good at it like jocko you know talking about hey if uh, something bad happens say good you know just changing that right uh my friend bill rapier he talks about how uh you know um, you know you should always uh bring your tools right and what do we consider a tool it's not just a tool like on our on our belt our tool could be you know the the weapons we use to protect our family mm. um so just the mindset is also re- just taking these words that we're already using, but being very careful with those words um, and also avoiding leakage, you know, avoiding using uh, things that will kind of work along that whole, you know, thoughts, words, actions, deeds, uh, you know, timeline or not timeline, the, the, the pattern, you know, where if we think about it, we maybe we'll say it. And if we say it, maybe we'll believe it, you know, and then it eventually, you know, comes to fruition. So, you know, when something bad happens, avoiding that, that reaction, um, you know, where you're, you're so negative on yourself, putting yourself down. It's like, no, 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 no. That's, that was a learning experience. That's a good thing. You know? So I think that's part of mindset too, is, is keeping that positive mental attitude that you hear so much about in the books, but what is positive mental attitude, you know, coming up with concrete examples to tell people, Hey, by the way, this is an example of positive mental attitude, adopt it, you know? And if you're teaching a weekend class, like, hold your, your class accountable for each other and, and tell them to call each other out when they're not applying what you just told them not to do. You know what I mean? So I think that's, that's part of it too. Like, uh, you know, make being very clear with what our, our expectations are of, uh, of what good mindset is.
0: Yeah. I love that philosophy, man. It's exactly the, the right way to go about it. I, and that's why I love podcasts. I mean, the, to get an accumulation, um, in the long form of your experiences and just your understanding of survival and giving people perspective is so huge because i mean we li- let's be honest we live in a clickbait society where you know we get snippets <laughs> in 15 second increments on stories on instagram so the fact that you could hear somebody's long form uh version of their life their you know their experiences and then learn from that i, I think is is the amazing thing about podcast all right so kevin i wanted to get your opinion on uh, kind of identifying your strengths and weaknesses uh, in your own game, because, like for me, I, I know bushcraft is is my weakest the, the the weakest part of my survival game, which is bad for a survival supposed survival expert. But I know it's part of 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 something that I need to improve, and I know my strengths: tact, tactical, anything, running and gunning, and uh, tourniquets and all that stuff that I'm constantly yeah. in is, is my strength. I want to get your take on your, your, uh, your strengths in, in this, in this particular genre and also your weaknesses. Cause I, you talked in the back of your mm-hmm. book about, uh, foraging for example, and how yeah. you know that it could take, you could spend a lifetime foraging. And I, I do this as a hobby for mushrooms and for food, uh, for, for edible plants. And I feel like I could never reach the end of that goal or objective and i want to want to hear your uh your take on that
2: sure yeah so uh in terms of strengths i mean i i'm you know the big joke is filipinos are the we the the swiss army knife of ethnicities you know we can be anything and you know we can blend in so i tend to to pick up skills pretty quickly um you know if you teach me something i, I tend to to be pretty natural with picking it up. Um, so over the years, I've I've adopted some pretty cool skills from some folks, and you know, in terms of survival, I'm I'm really good with logistics, like planning things out, with uh, you know, making sure that everything is the way that it needs to be before we we head out. So planning is one of my one of my strong points. Um, you know, aside from the usual stuff that I teach, I mean, obviously, I have to be strong at teaching fire and shelter and cordage and all that great stuff. Um, other strengths, I mean, I I enjoy shooting. Uh, I'm a avid, avid marksman. I've taken a number of classes with, uh, you know, SAC tactical group and Sig Sauer Academy and, you know, Kyle DeFore and Bill Rapier and Stretz tactical. So I love shooting, um, and all things shooting, whether it's precision, long rifle, carbine, pistol shotgun, you know, again, I'm the, the black sheep of the education world because I, I happen to enjoy guns. Um, so, you know, shooting is one of my, one of my other strong points. Um, Communications, I think, is something that I'm going to be working on this year. Uh, communications is something that I, I want to get my ham license, uh, you know, amateur radio license. That's definitely a weak point. That, you know, I'm, I'm learning more about it. Uh, navigation, I'd say, is a strong point, uh, especially with just map and compass without GPS. Um, you know, I'm slowly adding the GPS into my repertoire, but you know, it's not something that I, I use a lot. So that's another area of, of growth that's that's needed. Um, other weaknesses, I mean, th- there's always weaknesses. Like I love jujitsu, I love Filipino martial arts, um, but I would never say that I, you know, I know it all, right? And there's so many layers to all those. But instead of calling it a weakness, I'm still learning. Um, because I don't want to admit that it's weak. (laughs) I don't want to say, (laughs) yeah, my jiu-jitsu game sucks, (laughs) right? Like, come tap me out or, you know, thrust me in the throat because my, my Kali or my jujitsu sucks. I would never, I would never say that. You know, (laughs) I just did. Um, So I would say that I'm constantly learning there. Um, You know, there, there's so much. Uh, Medical, I would love to, to get deeper medical training. Uh, You know, I've done, you know, all sorts of first aid stuff and you know wilderness first aid and stop the bleed stuff but to like actually dedicate like a few weeks and, and get like a wilderness first responder or wilderness emt training i think that would be pretty awesome um i mean the list goes on and on and on uh small engine repair i would love to learn how to do i mean more of the homesteading stuff even though i'm not in a homestead just to know like if the lights were to go out like do i know how to do everything um you know and that that just comes along with that concept of readiness and I think someone who says that they know it all is a fool. So I uh, I, I like the idea of constantly challenging myself and learning. So uh, I guess what's my weakness? A lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I like I like the I'm desire confident. to learn is important. You know, if it's like if you feel like you've reached the pinnacle of learning or uh, of skills, you, you probably haven't learned much in life. So it's like there's always something to learn, right?
2: Yeah. And what's that expression? If you find yourself, uh, you know, the smartest man in the room, you're in the wrong room. You know what I mean? Like you gotta, you gotta keep moving, keep pushing forward, keep learning. Uh, and that's straight from my dad, like be a student for life, you know, and you can always learn, you can always find an interest. So if you're frustrated about all those edible plants, you know, there's some great guys out there that can teach you. And there's so many good books and you know, just make sure that you, uh, you're, you're getting taught by the right guy or else, you know, you won't have a second opportunity to try certain plans.
0: <laughs> I love that. If, let me, let me ask you this. If, if for some of the listeners, obviously who don't have any experience in outdoor wilderness, survival, bushcraft, anything, what's a good start point for them? What, like, what, what's a good book to read, um, including your own, what's a good institute or academy to go to? Like, what's a good start point for them?
2: I think the military manuals are really fantastic. Uh, you know, FM 2176 is the, the old school uh, military survival manual. Like, I, I don't know how many times I read it. It's one of the first books I got as a kid. Um, and they're free to download because it's government government publication. So I think that's one of the, the best ones because what I like about the military style of instruction, um, and this probably is through my training with Marty, is that, they're there to teach straight skills. They're not trying to teach, you know, uh, native spirituality or any type of religion or any type of, you know, the woods have spirits type of stuff. Um, You know, and trust me, there are schools that are really good at that, if that's your thing. But if you're investing your, your time and your money and especially your time into, you know, going to a school, you should get the most bang for your buck. So I think the military survival manuals are good because, they're going to give you the skills, they're going to give you the equipment background uh, without the hard sell of, hey, this is also this also has my name on it, you should buy this. Um, so it's free of that commercial aspect, it's free of the spirituality aspect. Um, I think before people, if anyone's listening, if you're going to go out and, and learn from a survival instructor, you should find out who is talking about that survival instructor, who's putting their name behind them. Um, I'm pretty, pretty blessed with having some amazing people that, that will vouch for me. Um, You know, and I believe that, you know, a man can be judged by the people that, you know, he considers his tribe or his people around him. Um, So I think you should always look into your survival instructors. And is that person popular because they were on a TV show? Are they popular because they've got skills and it's, you know, it's legit? Uh, Are they popular because they, you know, they're attractive? You know, believe it or not, there are a lot of survival instructors that get a lot of females. We're talking about male survival instructors that uh, get a lot of female clients because they think the guy that's teaching is, you know, hot. Um, so I think it's, it's really important that if you're, if you want to get into this, it seems overwhelming. Uh, if you want to learn plants, everything learn looks green. If, uh, if you want to get into it, it can be, it can be daunting because there's always that Elmer, you know, there's always that guy that wants to tell you, oh, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. As opposed to telling you what you should, um, you know, I think if you go in there humbly, right. If you tell people, look, I'm just trying to learn. If you're not, if you go in there without having a giant ego on your head, um, I think you're going to get a lot out of the experience. Um I think you could find so much knowledge just from from the internet alone. There's some great videos on YouTube that are that's good TV training or computer training. Um you know, and a lot of people now there's a big difference between the students I see now than, you know, the ones I saw back in 2007 that didn't know certain items existed because they've been already somewhat trained on television. Um so I think I think there are so many different ways a person could get involved. Um, but try to find a group, uh, it's more fun learning with someone, get a good training partner, establish a routine, set some realistic goals and, and don't just have a, don't just have a goal and consider it a dream, have a goal and consider it a goal because you have a plan to get there, uh, mm-hmm. with logical steps along the way, um. But man, I, I don't know. That's that's a tough question. Like, that's one that I would love to answer for people on like case by case basis. Like, dude, tell me about you, and then like I could come up with like a customized plan to make them whoever they want. Um, but I think the most important thing is get informed. You know, don't invest a whole bunch of money, um, not until you know what you want.
0: Yeah, I like that. And, and well, and and in getting informed it, it starts with you as well, right? Because I know you have. Let's talk about your resources for information. Your website. Yeah. Uh, your book, your, your, any social media that you have, your email, all that stuff, because I, I think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are going, man, this dude knows what he's talking about. And it, it, I get excited about it because it's such a uh, desirable skill set that I, I'm passionate about because I love the outdoors. Um, but, I, but I know there's a deficiency there. And it's like, where's the start point? And, and you know you have a lot of resources yourself for that start point. So can you go over some of the stuff that you have?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, so Instagram is is my last name, Estella Wild Ed. Uh, that's short for Estella Wilderness Education. That's my my company. My website is kevinestella.com, K-E-V-I-N-E-S-T-E-L-A.com. Um, you know, folks can call me if they want, or text message me. Probably text message me first and let me know that you're not some weirdo because I do screen my calls. Um, but they can call me directly, eight six zero two one four three six two nine. Uh, that's my cell phone, and I'll be more than happy to to answer questions for you guys. Uh, and if you're annoying, I'll block you. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, I've got a Facebook page. I've got my my website. I don't update as frequently. Uh, I used to blog a lot on there, but you know, everything is social media these days. Um, I'm found in a number of magazines: Recoil Network, uh, Survivor's Edge, Knives Illustrated you know, I'll answer any questions for anyone at any time. And, and my thing is like, if I don't know an answer, I'll tell you, I don't know. Um, I'm not the type of instructor that's going to say, well, I know this, but I can't tell you yet. You know, I'll, I'll be straightforward with you because I mean, what's at stake? It's, it's a person's life. If I give the wrong information, um, and I have too much integrity to, to, you know, BS someone right Than to be straightforward and be like, look, I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll get to you. Um, because me finding out actually makes me stronger in the process, uh, making you stronger. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to talk to anyone at any time, um, you know, and the way I look at this, survival skills, bushcraft, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, you know, so, you know, people shouldn't expect to, to be an expert overnight, I don't consider myself an expert, um, you know, other people might call me that, I'm still a student for life, you know, and I just happen to be pretty good at, at teaching people.
0: Yeah, I love that, man, especially that you're an actual history teacher, and then you have a passion for teaching people. Uh, in this genre, do your kids know that you have a book that you that you teach this? Is it something that you do extracurricularly at school?
2: So, so it's funny because you know my last name is Estella, so that my kids call me Mister E, and they're always like mystery. They're like, "What the hell is this?" You know, I'm like, <laughs> they don't know. Like they've seen photos of me like in Alaska with you know with salmon, or in South Africa with with impalas that I've shot, and you know they see photos of me doing like stick grappling or jujitsu or, or whatever, and they're like, what the hell do you do? They're like, you can't just be a teacher. I'm like, no, I'm just a history teacher. Like, dude, I'm just a history teacher. So <laughs> I kind of let the rumor mill fly a little bit and I see how far the kids will take it. Um, you know, hopefully it doesn't get to the point where they, they say I'm traumatizing them because I'm I'm so intimidating <laughs> or scary. You know, if anything like, I'm on their side, I'm there to, to make them better. And I think they all realize that. And, and um, I like them and they like me, but, uh, yeah, they, they, they kind of get into it. They ask me some questions. They they wonder how I can do things, you know, being a teacher and, and how can I, I can do all this other stuff. And I say, I wake up early. I wake up early before anyone else is up and I get my stuff done and, and I make a to-do list every single day. And, and I try to instill in them these little lessons. Like, I can't show them how to use knives. I can't show them how to, you know, have proper sight alignment and trigger control. But I can show them these little life skills and I do it every single day to kind of, envelop them in like a bubble of security. That's a real security bubble instead of like a false sense of security. Mm. Um, so yeah, they, they know a little bit about me, but I try not to talk too much about certain topics because it is, it's academia and let's face it. It's, I'm not exactly the, the most cute and cuddly, you know, teacher that's going to bake cookies for their kids. You know, I, i I tend to be a straight shooter and I, I, I tell kids how it is. I don't sugarcoat anything. So, you know, most of them get my delivery, um, and they appreciate it. And, you know, some of them are just like, well, it's just Stella. It's just it's just how he is. Think about all the other stuff that he does. So yeah. short answer, yeah, they kind of know some of the stuff, but not all of it.
0: Now, what, let's talk about your book because you have this book out. Yeah. Uh, where can people get that? What's the name of it? And then uh, you talked about subsequent um, titles. What, what are those books and when are they coming out?
2: Yeah. Um, so my book is called 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods. Uh, it's available at Barnes & Noble. It's available on Amazon.com. Amazon is probably the cheapest you're going to find it with Prime. It's like 13 bucks right now. Um, so you can find it there. You can find it at Books A Million. You can find it at a few other smaller independent bookstores. Um, you know, Right now, that book is doing well. It's in its second publication. Uh, my second book that's I haven't signed the contract on just yet hasn't been out. I can't even really release the title of it. Just know that it's going to be that's going to relate to food in the great outdoors, um, and just eating really well. Um, and that's something that's really passionate to me because it's what builds groups, right? You can take a group out, show them a great time. and They might not remember everything that was said, but they never forget the food that's eaten. So that's going to be a a big thing. Like how do you keep uh, groups fed? And it's kind of an extension of my first, um, you know, other stuff that's out there. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that are tied to my name, like, Uh, you know, the Polaris field knife is from Gossman knives. The K E bushy is a, is a bushcraft knife from fiddleback forge. Um, you know, you're going to see the key DC, which is a design of mine. It's a little pocket emergency kit, uh, container from centerline systems. Um, there's a whole bunch of little stuff out there. Like, but you know, if anyone has any questions, just email me, you know, I'll point you in the right direction. I'm not much of a merchant, so I tend to forget where things are. Like I focus on being the teacher, you know, but, uh, if you if you email me I'll put some thought into it and I'll remember where you, people
0: can find things I love that man I, and I appreciate you putting all that information and e- even giving your personal cell that's that's ballsy but uh it shows that you you know obviously want to help people and and get point them in the right direction if if uh if you can't help them and then give them you know information and skill sets man I appreciate that you got it hey man I wanted to ask you finally if you had any um any any survival quotes or philosophies that were kind of like uh you know something that you live by is you know I'm I'm a big fan of John Muir and and uh, Teddy Roosevelt um and and they're standing up and you know representing you know national uh, the protection of national forest and um national parks and I, I just yeah. want to know if there's is there any any things special to you in in the terms of philosophies or or quotes or anything that you kind of live your life by
2: Well Mike uh I'm a big fan of Teddy Roosevelt too uh he's on my desk I got his head on my desk I've got a poster of him as a rough rider uh, on my That's wall. Awesome. You know, I believe that Teddy Roosevelt, uh, he just had his birthday actually a couple mm-hmm. days ago. Um, and he always said that a man needs to test himself, right? A man needs to test himself. Um, I don't necessarily have one quote that I live by. I I tend to pull quotes all the time in conversation, you know, like, People question what you say, but they don't deny what you do. Like little things like that. Or if you think you can, you won't. If you know you can, you might. You know, I, I always have these things that just come up, and and they're they're very organic when they do because they're they're relevant. But I think one of the most important things that people need to to just remember, and it's something that I do live by, is is the idea of just one word, and that's grit. I love it when people understand what grit is and how they can they can fight through it, right? Like if you can fight through it, then you know what, you can, you can survive another day. Um, you know, my dad would always say, you know, he's got, he's got a million and one quotes. Um, but my dad would always say, uh, you know, little things to us in the morning, like, Hey, when you woke up this morning, if you can see, be thankful, right? If you can walk, be thankful. Right. So Mm -hmm. I've never forgotten that one because there are people out there that would kill to have the scenario that you're in. Um, so if you are able to, to pick up your arm, be thankful because there's a guy that probably can't, yep. you know, so it's always maintaining that positivity, right. And it could always be worse. Um, so I, I don't, I I've had, I think I've had pretty decent answers today, but in this one, I, I can't really think of one off the top of my head, man. Uh, there, there's just too many.
0: No, uh, I love that. I love the grit thing. And I love the fact that, uh, w- tell us about your father. Is he, is he, uh, what's his name? Is he still alive? Is he still with us? Oh, yeah. Us? Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so my, my dad, uh, my dad, Jose Estella, uh, he's a doctor. He came over uh, from the Philippines in 1965 with $11 in his pocket, um, completely left the Philippines. He went to military school over there, medical school, came here. Uh, he met my mother. He almost didn't make it to the East Coast because my dad loves blonde women, mm-hmm. and he landed California. in California, and he thought, it, <laughs> yeah, my dad lands in California, and he's like, holy shit, like <laughs> there's so many hot women here. So he gets to the hospital, uh, he's like the young playboy doctor, uh, eventually meets my mother. My mother ends up, uh, you know, pawning off my grandmother's, you know, cooking at her own and like, when's my dad over? And next thing you know, my dad has, you know, my two older sisters, myself, and, you know, he's still working to this day. That gives you an idea of like the work, uh, work ethic of him. That's he's awesome. 80 years old. He'll be 81 in January. Wow. Um uh, he's a guy who, you know, you know, he, he gave up hunting a long time ago, um, I mean, he hunted all the time in the Philippines, but after World War II, like I'll never forget some of the lessons that he taught me. And he, he never wanted to take a life after, after becoming a doctor, uh, cause he realized how difficult it is to maintain life. Mm-hmm. So he was always the guy that would like capture spiders that my mom was freaking out about and pick them up by his hand and throw them outside.
0: That's uh, me. I, but, <laughs> I do that all the
2: time. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but, but, uh, what's really cool about him is that he still works to this day. Uh, he wakes up every morning and he does pushups. He's... He's 80 years old, you know, and, and he's, he's a, a man amongst men. Uh, so I love my dad to death and, you know, I, I definitely feel like he's one of the greatest inspirations.
0: That's awesome, man. And big shout out to Mr. Estella for raising uh, raising Kevin because this was a, a great <laughs> podcast, man. I, people are going to love this one, man, because it's just, you know, it's hard to find uh, in this saturated world of technology, it's hard to find legitimate, you know, grit down to earth human beings who are, who are actually doing uh, the hands-on, you know, everybody, everybody has a virtual uh, teaching point because it's easy to type a quote, you know, using an application um, or, or or reinvent a quote by just adding different different words. But it's it's more difficult to actually get your hands dirty and go out and teach the practical application. And I I, I want you know part of the motivation for me for this podcast is I want people to get out there, you know, uh, you know, you inspire people to get outdoors just by default or understanding how to survive outdoors. And it's so important because it's so glossed over now in our society. And, uh, we really appreciate having you on the podcast today.
2: Yeah. And, and I just want to say one more thing, uh, you know, veterans day is coming up. Um, I was never, I'm, I'm not in the military. I never was in the military. And I think that's partly because my dad, you know, he never wanted me to be in it. And out of so much love and respect for my dad and, you know, being in in academia, like it just, it wasn't my path at that time. And, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, I could look back on it and say, did I make the right decision? But I can just push forward at this point and help out those that maybe are in the military. And if I can instill any skills, I'm I'm happy with doing that. But I got to say, if it weren't for the military, if it weren't for guys like you, uh, my Polish relatives would be speaking German. And if it weren't for guys like you, my, my Filipino side would be speaking Japanese or, or maybe, you know, German if they took over, the, over Japan. Uh, you know, so I, I have the utmost respect for the military and, you know, it's a question that comes up all the time. Uh, you know, well, what do you, what do you feel about this and that? And it's like, I have the most respect for the military. I, I, I can't thank you guys enough because if it weren't for the military, my family on both sides would not be here.
0: I appreciate that, man. I, I think about the same thing. My mom, my my mom met my father in Korea, uh, you know, cause of the 1950 to 53, uh, occupation and, and war that was fought, um, in, in Korea. So it's like, man, it, I'm, I'm so thankful. And being part of it is, uh, is an amazing, um, uh, just part of my life. And I appreciate all the veterans that have served and, and I appreciate your time man. I appreciate your time and your expertise and all the things that you're doing, man. So it's, it's been an amazing podcast and opportunity for us.
2: Yeah. Thank you for, so much for having me on.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. You have a good one, man.
2: Yeah, you too.